Some of you took me up on that 60-second thing. Some of you are just, I'll just call you curmudgeons. I mean, you're just like, I ain't doing it. I'm, I'm not. I'm sitting right here. He can't make me. Well, today we are talking about happiness. And we are talking about uh, the idea uh, that happiness is available to all of us. We start a brand new series today that we're going to be tracking with over the, the, first, uh, the next eight weeks, really. All summer long, we're going to kind of be looking at this idea of the summer at the Mount. Uh, Mount Perry North, we're really creative like that. But it's also the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament, and it is the first sermon, really, of Jesus Christ. So we're going to spend a few weeks kind of diving into what it is that Jesus wanted to spend some time talking about to his closest followers. Do you remember in school, and some of you, you may have to look way back in your minds for this. Do you remember in school when they were teaching you the concepts of math? You remember when they would teach you a concept and you would grasp that concept just about the same time that they changed it on you. You remember this? Like, let me just give you a really basic, simple example. They would show you on a piece of paper, and I've got young grade school age kids, and so I see this now in the 9,000 pieces of paper they bring home every day. So they would show you on a piece of paper like a stack of six blocks, and then they would show you four stacks side by side of those six blocks. And they would say, okay, now how many blocks are there? And so what they would do is they would want you, they would teach you early on in that. They would say, okay, you count that there's six blocks in that one. And then there's six over here, and then there's six over here, and then there's six over here. So we're going to count all of these blocks, and you're going to see that you have 24 blocks. Now, some of you are doing the math right there. Is that right? Is that? Yes. Okay, that's right. I did did the math to make sure. 24 blocks on that piece of paper because they're in six, they're they're, they're in stacks of six, and there's four stacks of those. And right about the time, now some of you have already jumped there because you learned this concept. Right about the time that you would figure out the addition part of that, they'd go, now there's a much simpler way. You can take the four stacks... And understand that there's six in each stack. And you can actually multiply. That sounds like a cuss word to me. You can multiply four times six. Did you know that? You don't have to stand there and count each individual block anymore. You know there's a six in a stack and there's four stacks. And so you just count. Four times six equals 24. Gets you to the same answer. You arrive at the same conclusion by going a different route. And then, then this is a cuss word. Then they would take that 24 and they go, okay, now, if you've got six in each stack, what's 24 divided by six? You'd be like, what? What? But because we just did that, you, you immediately know that's four. But then they would throw letters in there, right? You got math, you got the concepts, and then they would take numbers away and put letters in there. And be like, 24 times X equals what? And what? What? What happened to this? And then when you got that, I mean, you struggled. You would sit at the dinner table at night and your mom would fight with your dad about which one was right with your math answers. And, and, and they would have marital, like marital just disputes over who knew more about your math problems than you did. And I, have you ever heard this, this in your house? Well, your teacher's just wrong. They just don't know how to teach that, right? Anybody? Nobody's going to admit that. That's fine. Okay. Neither in my house. We, we don't do that either. So... Then, when you got it, you got the four plus six stacks, all those 24, and you got four times six, and then you got 24 divided by six. 
Then you got, okay, then they take that out and they put X or Y or L or M or some random letter in there. Then, this is what they did. They took all your numbers away and all your letters away and they gave you shapes. You had to learn, learn formulas about those shapes to determine how much water would fit into a cylinder and then how much surface area there was in this triangle. Who cares? Has anybody ever used that life skill? Anybody at all? Because here's what I'm doing. I know this makes me a terrible parent. If Cooper gets stuck on his math homework, I'm like, yeah, you're not going to use that. Don't worry about that. Just skip that one. Right? That makes me a terrible parent. That's all right. That's all right. I'll take the blame. They would give you a concept. And then right about the time you figured it out, they would change the way that you arrived at the answer. That was so incredibly frustrating to me. But this is what we find in life a lot of times. And this is what we find in the very first kind of words of the first sermon of Jesus Christ. He was talking to a group of people who thought they understood how to arrive at their desired destination. He's talking to a group of people that have figured it out. They know how to get to this place in life where they think they're supposed to be. How do, how do I live life and be happy? How do I live life and kind of stay in the good graces of God? And what they understood that to be was to keep the law. They understood that in order for them to be happy, in order for them to stay in the good graces of God, in order for them to kind of be blessed, they had to keep the law. And there was a ton of law. If you ever can't fall asleep at night, just open your Bible the book of Leviticus, and you just start reading, you will be snoozing before you can just read halfway through the book. It, 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 there's incredible law there, but for you and I, we, we don't often understand all of it. We don't often read it a lot because what we find is that in the New Testament, Jesus claimed to kind of come and be the fulfillment of that law. So we spend a lot of time talking about and focusing our attention on Jesus and not so much on the law. And that's a great thing because really what we're doing, if you think about it, is we're choosing not to pay attention to the law, which looks like six different stack, four different stack of six blocks, and trying to figure out how to get the answer to that when this is a whole new skill set for us. We're learning a brand new way to fulfill that, to arrive at the same destination. And what Jesus said is, I didn't come to kind of do away with the law. I just came to show you another way to fulfill it. And that fulfillment is me. And so we don't spend a lot of our time focusing on the Old Testament laws. We, we spend most of our time in the, in the present day church focusing our attention on Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the books of the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament, as they talk to us and point us to who Jesus said he was. And so he starts his first sermon in Matthew chapter 5 with this incredible kind of teaching that for you and I, we may have heard it, you, you may have heard the idea of the Beatitudes, and he's going to kind of walk us through that, and we're going to read a couple of, that, of those in a few minutes. But this is so against what they had ever thought, what they had ever understood. So if you've got a Bible, flip with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 3. And we're going to read a few verses together, and, and we're going to see if we can see what Jesus might have been doing that would kind of rock their world a little bit. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 3. Blessed... Are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, stop right there. I'm not going to stop every verse about and do the same thing. But just think about what he just said. He kind of opens up. If I were to have started the, the message today and said, hey, let me just kind of tell you, like the end goal of all this is to be poor. Some of you would have gotten up and walked out. 
you would have waited until I prayed so that no one would notice. But the idea being that Jesus is saying right up front, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. He's saying, okay, what's your idea of of being blessed? Being blessed is, is having a good family. It's having a good home. It's acquiring assets. It's having things and stuff, right? And so he's saying, okay, blessed, what you have in your head, are those who are rich with stuff. No. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And so he's going to do that in several other verses. But I want you to kind of keep that in mind as we read here because he is totally pushing aside everything that they thought they understood. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, if you've ever mourned, you probably didn't feel very blessed in that moment. The reason that you were mourning is because you had lost something. So you probably didn't feel very blessed. You didn't gain something and feel, wow, look at the blessings of God on my life. You lost something. You were mourning a loss. You were mourning something. You probably didn't feel very blessed there. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Again, I want to stop one more time. If you're blessed, you're probably not hungry and thirsty. I mean, the idea being, if you're blessed, you've got food. The pantries are full. The cabinets are full. You can go out to eat anytime you want to, Right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after what? After righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. I love that one. He's very descriptive there. Blessed are you if a bunch of bad stuff happens to you on account of me. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now this word blessed has been pulled into the language of Christianese. You know what Christianese is? It's the language of Christians. And some of that language easily translates into normal everyday English. But some of the words, have you ever thought about some of the words we use in Christianity? It will scare the heebie-jeebies out of people that aren't Christians. They, they, they might hear you talking about, and heebie-jeebies is a good word if you're not familiar with that. That's like the, that's what heebie-jeebies are. But it will scare that out of them. The wee willies, if you're from somewhere else where that might be a little more common. Because we use words to describe something that's so comfortable to us. Something that we understand very, you know, kind of intimately. Deep inside of us, we understand why it's important to know that we are covered in the blood. Think about that. Next time you get in a conversation with a completely unchurched, unfaithed person... Just be like, you need to be covered in the blood and see what kind of response you get. Now, we, we want to be covered in the blood, figuratively. If you walk up and pour blood on me, you're going to get punched in the face. <laughs> I'm not kidding. But, but think about the words that we use. We're very comfortable with this because we understand we sing about our God's not dead. He's like a lion. So we're... So God's a lion now? We're singing to an animal at the zoo? Right? Because we, some of you, we understand this context. We understand what we're talking about. So it's Christianese. It's the idea that we have a whole separate language sometimes to describe the things that are very comfortable to us. 
I just used a word that some of you may not have known, heebie-jeebies, right? That's a part of my everyday language. I use that a lot. Maybe that says something about who I am. I don't know. But if I were to walk into some really refined cultural areas where they speak a little cleaner King's English than I do, and I said heebie-jeebies, they'd punch me in the face, right? Because I'm taking the language that I'm familiar with, that I use to communicate the things that I need to communicate, and I'm pulling that language into their culture. Pastor Josh Rice was here last week and talked a little bit about culture and how it's kind of the underlying thing of everything that we do. It's ingrained in who we are. It's out in the culture around us, in the, in the atmosphere, the experience, all the relationships. There's a culture there. And, and so I'm taking my culture, I'm taking my language, the words that I use to describe the things going on in my life, and I'm putting them into someone else's culture. And Jesus really did that. Jesus came into the culture of that day. And he walked into a culture that was so consumed on the faith base, the religious side in the law. And they understood the law. Many of them could quote portions of the law. Some of those religious leaders that we read about a lot and they kind of get a bad reputation because they hated Jesus. The reason that they hated Jesus is because he brought his language into their culture. He brought his new narrative and laid it over top of their narrative. He comes into a a culture, into a society where everything was about his people being oppressed. There was a group of people that controlled him, the Jews, the people of his people, the people of his father. He walks into that culture and he starts talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of Caesar, not the, ki- the kingdom of, of the Pharaoh, of the Egyptians, that they had come out of captivity in the old time. Not those kingdoms, another kingdom. And he brings his language into that culture. He brings his language into their language. And now he begins to speak into that. And this idea of blessed is one of the words that he uses to get their attention. Because there was definitely a divide in that culture, in that day, about who was blessed and who wasn't. Even the people that the religious people would look on, those tax collectors, right? They were kind of classified as sinners, but they had great wealth because they would kind of take some off the top. But those religious leaders, those keepers of the law, those were the ones that were kind of respected highly in culture and society. Because, especially in the faith aspect of society, because those were the ones that were viewed to be the, the ones that were most righteous. They, they, were, they were the goodest, right? That's not a real word, okay? They were the ones that kept the law. They understood the law and they stood in judgment of those who didn't keep the law. And so there was in this, you know, invisible ranking system that we're all guilty of. They were elevated above others. And so they were blessed. And Jesus walks into the midst of that. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, the poor would have had a very dim view in this society. The poor were kind of passed over. The poor were sitting on the side of the road, begging for money. You know, they, they, they were the ones that were on the side of the interstate. When you get off and maybe you try not to make eye contact, all of a sudden your radio gets very interesting to you. And you start fiddling with something. Look at my phone, it's broken. Oh, I've got something in my ear. and You just don't, that, that was the poor of that day as well. People would pass them by. 
People would pass around them. They would go around them. They would try not to make contact with them. They wouldn't speak to them. They wouldn't sometimes give to them. That's why the message of Jesus, when he goes through in the Gospels, he's, you, you see him giving to the poor. You see him com- having conversations with the poor. You see him talking about the poor and their position in this new kingdom. Jesus really starts to take everything that they thought they knew and he flips it upside down. Maybe you've heard the, the message of God or the message of Jesus Christ in the gospel is called the upside down gospel. It's the idea that he took everything that they thought they knew and turned it upside down on his head. And he says, you thought you understood, but I want to teach you a new way. I want to change the language that you use to think that you are in right standing with God. And so he walks through that blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, this idea of being blessed Obviously, in our common vernacular and the words that we would use and the understanding that we have, we would think if I'm blessed, then I'm happy. Because I've already said blessed is I got stuff. I got a good family. I got a good house. I got a good job. I've got stuff. I got toys. I got things I can play with. I got things to keep me happy and contented. And so blessed might equal happiness. And that would not be that far off, even in the way that Jesus is using it. I want us just to read the first few verses that we just read, but I want us to read it from a translation of scripture called the amplified version. If you, if you've never used that, maybe on your Bible app on a phone or an iPad or some type of tablet, or even on your computer, you go to uversion.com. That might redirect you now to a new site that they have. But you can click on a different translation of scripture. I encourage you to go to the amplified version because what you'll find is if you've ever had a conversation with somebody that's really wordy, like if they're talking to you and they give you every descriptive word, uh, they can't be concise. That's kind of the amplified version. It expands on what you're reading. So instead of what we just read, this is what the amplified version reads in verses three and four. Now in the English standard version, which is what I read mostly, And that's what I preach from a lot. Here's what verses 3 and 4 said. So don't skip there yet, guys. Here's what 3 and 4 said. It said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I think that took me four seconds to read that from the ESV. Here's what it says in the Amplified Version. Blessed or happy are the poor in spirit, those that are humble, who rate themselves insignificant. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed and enviably happy with a happiness that is produced by the experience of God's favor and especially conditioned by the revelation of his matchless grace are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. That's the same two verses. There's a lot of extra information there. But what I want you to see is that these translators, these who, who went back to the same original text that, the, that those who were translating from to, to give us the translation of the English Standard Version or the NIV, they went back to the original language. And what they wanted you to see is they wanted you to get a full description of what some of these words meant. They wanted you to have a, a full and proper context. Now, some of this has even been pared down. There is another, another part of this, and I'm just going to read, just leave that up there. Here, here's what it says in, a, in, an, in an earlier edition of the Amplified. This is what it says, blessed or happy. To be envied and spiritually prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions, are the poor in spirit. Those who are humble, who rate themselves insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's one verse. The amplified version is actually this big. No, I'm just kidding. But it is the idea that they want you to get a proper understanding of the words that are being used. And so blessed and happy can be used side by side. This idea that blessed or to be envied. Blessed or spiritually prosperous, blessed or happy are those who have a life, joy, a satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions, are the poor in spirit. So the translators here are saying, listen, you can be happy because this is a happiness that is not based on your outward conditions. So those who are poor, even if it's poor in spirit, they can still be happy. 
they can still be blessed. Because the happiness, the blessing that we're talking about here is not related just to their outward conditions. It's something far deeper than that. So I want us to walk verse by verse. This probably won't be on the screen unless they want to try to follow me. But I want us just to walk verse by verse through what we read from the ESV, English Standard Version, the much more concise version that we read earlier. A really, really uh, uh, great version of Scripture. It's very accurate. I want us to read this and kind of look at how might these people be blessed? How is it possible that Jesus was showing these people that the poor in spirit, or those who mourn, could be blessed? And so let's just kind of look at this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So even though they're poor in spirit, they're actually receiving the entire kingdom. For theirs is. They get citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, which is an eternal kingdom that won't fade away. So, yeah, obviously they're blessed. doesn't matter their condition here. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So even though they're mourning, they can be blessed because they're actually receiving comfort in their mourning. They are not walking that mourning alone. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The idea that those who are meek, those who may be a little more subdued, those who may not go and try to take possession of things themselves, they are blessed because they're actually getting the entire earth. They inherit the earth, even in their somewhat timidity. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because they're going to be satisfied. They're going to be filled, some translations say. So they can be blessed even though they hunger and thirst. There is a pursuit there that's actually going to be quenched. And so they're blessed. Blessed are those who are merciful because they're going to receive mercy. You, you may look at people and you say, man, you're just a pushover. You, 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 there's no reason for you to show that much mercy, that much grace to people. You just need to fight back. You need to do something about this situation. No, blessed are those who are merciful because out of what they're doing, they're actually going to receive the same response from God. They are going to receive the same mercy that they're extending. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they actually get to see God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and blessed are those Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He says, listen, if you're getting getting persecuted now, your reward is going to be great. And you're not the first group of people to be persecuted. You're not the first group of people to have people say bad things about you, to do bad things towards you. You're actually going to get a great reward and you're not the first to have this response towards you. It happened before you and their reward was great too. They were blessed or they were happy because what they got as a result of what they were going through, what was going on in their life, their temperament, the way they responded to people is they got God. Think about that. Every single Ending to that verse in the translation that we're reading. And maybe you read it in a different translation that kind of flips these two, these two parts of these, these sentences, these verses. But if you say blessed are the poor, they get the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they get filled. Christ is saying, listen, it's, and this is so cliche, I almost feel embarrassed to say it. Jesus is saying... It's not about the religion that you think it's about. It's about the relationship. It's not about the keeping of the law that you have put your life in pursuit of. 
It's about come unto me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. He's saying, listen, it's, it's not about trying to go back to Leviticus and figure out how to have the correct sacrifice brought to the temple, brought to the priest to cover up the transgressions that you've committed. Now, I'll be the sacrifice. You just come to me. Let me stand in for you. This is such a unique teaching. This is, this is such a, a weird concept. Think about the most downtrodden, messiest condition. Somebody who has need. They, they, they lack the things that you would consider to be basic commodities of life, basic needs in life. That's the kind of people that Jesus would point to and go, they've got everything. Those are the kind of people Jesus would, would be walking with the disciples in the gospel. And he would look at them and he would go, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those people. He stood in the temple one time when people were giving their offering. And people were giving huge amounts in the offering. And you need to follow their example. If you weren't paying attention, now you may be. And he, he's watching them with the disciples. And they're, they're giving, and they're giving in the offering. And you know who he points out? He points out the little old lady who gives two pennies. We would not look at that lady and call her blessed because of her earthly possessions. But Jesus looked at those disciples and he said, listen, look at her. That's who I want you to model yourself after. Because these others, they're giving out of great wealth. But they're just giving a portion. And she is giving out of everything that she has. It wasn't about the two pennies or the amount that they gave or the great wealth or the lack of. It was the idea that she had a faith, a hope, a trust, a belief in God to say, if two pennies is all I have, I give it freely because I know that you will provide. Jesus could look on these who had an outward experience on this earth that may not line up with what you and I would classify to be blessed. And he says, they are blessed because it's not about what they're going through today. It's not about how their temperament may kind of push them back in the pack a little bit. They're blessed because of what they're pursuing and what they receive. Every single one of these can be defined by the idea that they are blessed because they receive God. They get something related to the eternal value of Christ and the Father and his ministry on earth. Their outcome was God. And so here's, here's what I would just ask you today as you kind of evaluate you and your life. Is your happiness based on good things happening? Is my blessedness based on good stuff. It's not a sin. I, I, don't, I don't think that that keeps you out of heaven. But if my blessedness, if my happiness is solely dependent on good, I don't know how good that is for you.
Because we live in a fallen world. And so if, if I am contingent here on this earth to find blessing and to find happiness here on earth in the midst of pain and suffering, in the midst of fallenness, in the midst of sin. And, and it doesn't mean you can't have good things. I mean, I pray God's blessings. I, play, I pray favor on you. I pray you get the best jobs and, and, and you get awesome stuff. And I pray your families are, I, I pray all that stuff. But if I'm only happy, if I'm only blessed when things are going good, I don't, I don't know that that's what he's talking about here. I think he's talking about something a little more like the amplified version. This is, I'm blessed. I, I am enviably happy with a happiness that's produced by the experience of God's favor and conditioned by the revelation of his matchless grace. That even in the midst of my mourning, I find comfort. Even in the midst of my Poor in spirit days. I actually realize that there's something far greater coming to me. I'm going to ask the band to come as we kind of wrap this up. I, I just want you to think about yourself. Where do I find happiness? Where do I find blessing in my life? Where do I consider myself to be happy or blessed? Where is it that I, I kind of look and go, That's, I'm fulfilled here. I think this is the place that Christ would have walked right up in the midst of this morning into a group of us that think we understand, who think we've got it all figured out. And you say, no, no. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. You ever been hungry? I mean, really hungry? You ever, you ever been thirsty? Really thirsty? What do you do? You pursue something to quench that hunger and thirst. He said, blessed are those because they're going, to feed, they're going to be filled. They're going to be satisfied. He said, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek, somewhat timid, who don't assert themselves and exert their will and try to get their way. Blessed are those who are merciful. They're going to get mercy. In the end of it all, whether you choose to or not, guess what you get? You get God. If you choose him, if you live your life in a way that says, I'm pursuing God, I think you're going to like that interaction. But that really ugly part of scripture that some people really wrestle with and struggle to accept is the fact that you get God at the end of it all, no matter what. So what am I pursuing? Where am I trying to find happiness? Where am I trying to find blessing? Is it based on the circumstances of life only? Or am I comfortable understanding that there's more to life than what I see? That the blessings of God may appear in different ways than I envision them to be. And so here's how I want to kind of close today in, in, in two ways. I, I want to ask you today... Do you want Christ? Do you want God? Jesus stepped up and said, listen, you thought you knew what it was about, but actually it's about a relationship with me. And so today I, I want to make the same invitation. Do you need, do you want a relationship with Jesus Christ? There's happiness there. It's not a magic formula, speaking of math problems. It doesn't a 
plus B equals C every time in the way that you might hope. It, it doesn't mean that you'll never have bad days. It doesn't mean that everything in your life automatically goes better. But it gives you a sense of hope and purpose. That faith that we've been singing about, that trust that we've been singing about is something that can actually grow in you and rise up in you because it's about more than sometimes what you see. And you can stand in the midst of your worst day and know that this day will pass away. But that I have hope in something that will not. So today I want you to bow your head and close your eyes with no one looking around. As you've searched your heart and kind of looked at Where do I find happiness? Where do I look for blessing? Do you need a relationship with Jesus Christ today? Nobody's looking around. Everybody's in their own kind of prayer mode here, whatever that may look like for them. And if you would say to me, Jeremy, I I just, I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. I need to pursue him for my happiness. I need to pursue him so that in the midst of the days that don't feel so good, don't seem so happy, don't seem so blessed that I can actually know there's hope for tomorrow. Just lift your hand right now. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. Several hands today. Here's what that hand means. It says, God, I I know that I need relationship with you, which means I, I know I'm looking for you to be the savior of my life that we sang about. Not just the get into heaven free card. Maybe I've prayed that prayer before, but I need something a little deeper than that. I need this ongoing relationship that you promised to us. So now before we pray anything else, I want to pray for these hands that have been lifted. God, I pray today for every hand in this place, every person who acknowledged their need for you today. They may have prayed a similar prayer or acknowledged a similar need at some other point in their life or today may be the very first time. This is why we exist as a church right here to help people live a Christ-centered life, to take initial steps towards you, to allow their lives to be centered on who you are. So God, today, I thank you for that acknowledgement. The very moment that they acknowledged in their heart, before they even lifted their hand, you, God, responded to that. You've been pursuing them before they ever pursued after you, before they ever acknowledged their need for you, God. You have been right there the entire time. And so today, God, I pray that you would forgive their sin. I pray, God, that they would find freedom from anything that binds them. I pray, God, that they would acknowledge you as the Savior of their life. And even beyond that, God, as the Lord of their life. And that they would experience a renewed sense of relationship with you, their Creator, their loving Heavenly Father. And that as they walk the days ahead, that they walk that journey with you. For every other person in this room, whether you say, I need a relationship with Jesus or I've got a relationship with Jesus, but I just need to find that happiness that comes from him. I need to experience blessing from him. I want to know that there's something beyond that. I pray now for you, God. I pray every person in this room would experience happiness and blessing that comes from you. They don't look on their outward conditions. They don't look at the moments of life right now that may not seem great. God, right now, they would respond to you. They would pursue you. They would hunger and thirst for your righteousness. They would be merciful. They would, even in the midst of their mourning, find comfort and peace in you today, God. I thank you for that. We give this day to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to conclude this moment with a really cool response that we do semi-regularly around here. I'm going to ask our host to come. 
and to be prepared to wait on you as we take of communion. Communion is, and I told our band this early, we take communion early with the band because they're going to be leading in worship during our time here in the next few minutes. But I told them that this is like the one thing, if there's only one, this is like the one thing we get to do where we know Jesus did it. He may not have done it exactly the same way we're doing it here, but we're doing what he asked us to do. We are remembering the sacrifice. We believe here in the opportunity for you to take part in communion if you so choose. And what that looks like is that they're going to pass these trays in the moment and you're going to take the little cracker wafer thing out of one of the trays and you're going to take a little cup of juice out of the other. And in a moment, we'll come back together. You're going to hold those in your hand. We'll come back together and we'll take communion together. It was a, a representation of what Jesus Christ did with his disciples in the last days of his life, representative of his body and his blood. And so as the band leads us, I encourage you now, as they pass, if you wish to participate, Take these elements and hold them in your hand.